0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against or resist or withstand the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. You should be able to resist and stand against the cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice how often, as we've said before, we see against in this one verse. This is giving you the picture of face-to-face combat, and every single day, this is who you're squaring off against. Whether you see it or not, this is who your fight is against. This is who your real enemy is, is. Your real enemy is not people. Your real enemy are principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. This is the rank and file of Satan's army. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Once again, you see that you are supposed to resist. In the evil day, what is the evil day? The day of trouble, the day of attack. And having done all, stand, not cower, not run away. Stand in victory, stand triumphant because you resisted. And then a list, the armor that God has given the believer. Let's go to John 10.10. I remember reading Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, and one of the principles there was know your enemy. And so one of the things we understand about the enemy we see in John 10.10, it says, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So one of the things that says the word thief here, which means embezzler or pilferer, also translated a pickpocket. Satan is a pickpocket. The word steal here means to take away by stealth. This word paints the picture of a pickpocket pickpocket who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. I'll say it again. This word means to take away by stealth, This word paints the picture of a pickpocket who is so artful in the way that he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. The enemy has come to steal from you. His preferred method of stealing is stealing from you without you realizing that you have been stolen from. The art of the pickpocket is to steal through distraction whether it's a bump, whether it's to take your attention another way and steal from you when your attention is diverted. So if you're distracted right now, the enemy is stealing from you. If you are offended right now, the enemy is stealing from you. That's how Satan likes to operate. You know, one of the things, let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. One of the one of the ways Satan is described here is as the deceiver to deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. He's also called the accuser of the brethren, which means one who charges with an offense, crime, or sin. In John 8, 44, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. As we said before in our previous series, the gates of hell are hell's powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censure, sentence. It's Satan's propaganda machine. It's his efforts of injustice and the financial tactics of hell. All of these things are cloaked in deception and filled with accusations and lies. As we looked in Genesis chapter 3, the same way that Satan deceived Eve, he, in the same way he tries to deceive all of us, how did he deceive Eve? He was casting doubt on the word of God, saying, did God really say? So Satan's always trying to cast doubt on the word of God and what God has said to you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. We know this is the temptation of Jesus. When Satan has come against him. So one of the things you understand, being tempted is not a sin. Giving in and yielding and acting on the temptation is a sin. So Satan comes to tempt Jesus and we know that Jesus did not yield to the temptation. What did he do? He resisted the devil. How did he resist him? Matthew chapter 4 verse 5. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you be the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you shall dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, you should not tempt the Lord your God. So anytime Satan would tempt Jesus, he responded, it is written. In order to resist the enemy, you have to know what is written. And so what did the enemy try to do? He tried to take the scripture, take it out of context and twist it to make Jesus fall for Satan's trap. Now, why would Satan twist Scripture? Remember in the Bible, he's also called the wicked one, and wicked means twisted. So he'll take a little bit of truth and twist it into wickedness, so it's an element of truth to get your attention in hopes that you'll fall for the deception and the lie. One of the other things you see about Satan and the demon spirits that operate in his kingdom, there are many different types. Here are some that the Scripture talks about. Unclean spirits— which means unclean spirits, which are unclean in thought and life. That word unclean means unclean in thought and life. It is lewd and foul. Unclean in thought and life, lewd and foul. So this gives you an insight to how unclean spirits operate. First, they begin in the thought life and the way people think. And then after they take hold of the thought life, they affect the actions and the habits. So we see unclean spirits. They're unclean in thought and life. They are lewd and foul. You see evil spirits, which means wicked, bad, even harassing. Spirits of infirmity, which are spirits of sickness, disease, feebleness, and frailty of the body. Not every sickness, disease, pain, infirmity is caused by a demon spirit. But there are some that are caused by demon spirits, and we see that in the New Testament. Then there's also another group of spirits called lying spirits and seducing spirits. Lying spirits and seducing spirits. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 uses the phrase seducing, which means misleading, deceptive, corrupter, and imposter. Misleading, deceptive, corrupter, and imposter. If it's an imposter, it presents itself as a real thing. Remember, Paul says even Satan tries to present himself as an angel of light. The Amplified Classic Edition of First Timothy 4, 1 and 2 for this phrase talks about, calls it deluding and seducing. So it'll take some of the truth and dilute it to make you fall for a lie. There's also other spirits called familiar spirits or spirits of divination or the spirit of Python. Those refer to the oracle spirits that try to tell people's future. You see that in the book of Acts. So one of the things you see in Daniel chapter 10, and we looked at it last week, is when Daniel was praying. He was praying for an answer. He was standing in prayer, and he was praying and fasting for 21 days before the angelic being appeared to him, and it said, from the first day you prayed, your prayers were heard. And I was released on that first day to bring you your answer. What you've been praying for, I was released to bring it to you, but it began to talk about a prince of Persia. Now, it wasn't a human, because the human could not resist this angelic being. What was it? A demonic prince over the region of Persia, which is modern-day Iran, resisted that angelic being, and they battled for 21 days. But as Daniel kept on praying and kept fasting and refused to let go of his faith, angelic assistance and reinforcements was released, and an angelic prince by the name of Michael was released to help this angelic being and help him in this fight so this angelic being could come and bring Daniel this message. So one of the things we see here and in Ephesians 6, that there are certain demonic beings that try to rule over regions and seek to impress its personality over a certain region, whatever level of territory it oversees. And we looked at it last week concerning race-based deception and the personality of that spirit, and I encourage you, if you missed that message, to make sure when this message is done, you download the Faith Plus app and you go watch last week's message. So now that we have this brief review and understanding, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Because we talked about the gates of hell represent the strategies of hell. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives you the playbook of the enemy. Mark chapter 4. Verse 3. Hearken or pay attention. Look at this. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass that as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, which is like the highway side, the side of 285, the side of 20. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, which had not much earth. Immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it or crowded it out and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were with them, with the twelve, so not just the twelve disciples or apostles, but other disciples over Jesus asked of him the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time, any time, they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? So this is the key to understanding all the parables. The sower sows the word. So what is this parable about? The word of God. And these that are they by the wayside, by the highway, by the side of 20, by the side of 285, 85, and 75, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. You might say, well, God is a great farmer. He knows where to sow. Why would he sow in all these places? Once again, remember, all these types of ground represent types of heart. God loves every single person he loves the wayside heart, he loves the stony ground heart, he loves the thorny ground heart, he loves the good ground heart. And so he gives them all opportunity to receive the word. It's our job what type of heart soil we have. And so what happens? There is this wayside solid ground heart that is not good for planting. It's like you wouldn't try to plant a farm or grow produce by the side of a highway. That's not the best area to plant. And so when it was sold here, immediately Satan is able to just take it because they didn't receive it, they didn't take it, it's there. Satan was able to come and take the word. So notice, he's coming for the sake of the word. Notice what says next. And these are they likewise, or in the same way, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Now we know that word receive means to take, but also means to catch just like you would catch a basketball. This is how you catch the word. So you catch it and hold on to it. So they caught the word. They took the word. And they received it with gladness, or that word gladness also means with a shout. And they have no root in themselves, so they endure but for a time. So they endured for a little bit. Afterward when affliction, which we define as pressure brought by circumstance. Or persecution, which is defined as pressure brought by people. So these things are both pressure coming from different sources. It arises for the word's sake. So the pressure did not come to make you strong. It did not come to make you a better Christian. The pressure came to co- for the word to take away the word. So who sent the pressure? Satan. He's coming for the word. So he sends pressure brought by circumstance, pressure brought by people to take away the word that was sown in the hearts. And it says immediately they are offended. Now what does this word immediately mean? Excuse me, what does this word offended mean? It means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way, upon which another may trip and fall. It means to entice to sin, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom we ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. It means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. It means to entice to sin. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one he ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. So immediately they are offended, which goes back to what happened in verse 6. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and withered away. Scorched and withered. So why is Jesus using this phrase? Because it's the enemy's goal to bring such pressure to your life to make you let go of the word that you called so that all the progress you have received from holding on to the word in your life is scorched and withered away so your life looks like there's no evidence you received the word in the first place. That's how you can look at people who are once strong believers once we're walking with God, we're faithful serving in their local church, we're faithful in telling other people about Jesus. and a year or two, you look at them and he talks to them, Hey, man, what happened to you? This is, Oh, I don't even believe that anymore. He said, What happened? You were so strong. You were so on fire. What happened? The pressure came. And they let go of the word, and Satan was able to have his way and erase all the production of the word in their life. That's how you know spiritual growth is not just linear. It's not just because you keep going, you get more mature in the things of God. Just because you grow older, you know more about the things of God. No, it's by your choices. You can today be strong and be weak the next. You can be a strong believer today and next year be a weak believer. It's all about the choices you make on a daily basis to keep going stronger. So we look at the affliction and the persecution, the pressure that came. Now let's look at verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world. The word cares means anxiety and means worry. So the anxiety and the worry that's in the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It doesn't mean riches. It means being deceived by riches. So if you believe lies about money, this is the tactic. If you believe money is evil, it's a lie about money because the Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money, That Greek word is avarice or extreme greed is the root of all evil. If you believe money will meet all your needs, that's a lie about money. If you believe in going after money over everything, that's a lie about money. There are several different lies about money, whether you are poor or whether you're rich. It doesn't matter your economic status. You can still be deceived by riches. And this is a tactic of the enemy and then lust of other things. It doesn't just mean sexual immorality type of lust, even though that's included, it's an inordinate strong desire for what is forbidden or things that you're not supposed to have. It says it enters in and chokes the word. The word choke means crowds out the word and it becomes unfruitful. One of the things you know in verse 19, that the anxiety, the deceitfulness of riches, and the inordinate desire for what's forbidden grow in the same heart the Word is growing into. So that means all of these things are growing at the same time. The Word is growing and producing to some extent. The anxiety is growing and producing to some extent. The deceitfulness of riches is growing and producing to some extent. And the lust of other things is growing and producing to some extent. But it keeps growing and growing. These thorns, these reeds keep growing and growing until it chokes the Word and it becomes unfruitful. Notice... The Word is still there. There's still evidence of the Word being there, but the Word does not produce for them. So that could be a lot of believers who've been in church for a long time, been walking with God, and says, I've been in this faith thing a long time. I've received the Word. I've heard the best teachers, but why isn't the Word working in my life? Why don't I see any evidence of the Word, not just a little evidence? Why does it seem like there's no production? I'm saved, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, but why isn't the word producing for me like I was told it could? You have to check your heart. Is there some anxiety there that you haven't dealt with or resisted? Is there some cares and worries of this world that you held on to? Is there some deceitfulness or riches you're holding on to? Are there lusts of other things you're holding on to? Because those things eventually crowd out the word and make it unfruitful. Then verse 20, so that means you need to cultivate your own heart. Verse 20 says, These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. They take it, they catch it, they hold on to it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. One of the things, as we painted in the picture in, in the series, Satan is a pickpocket. He can't just outright steal the word from you if you're holding on to it, if you've caught the word. So what he does is he comes through deception, and he offers you another option. He offers you a deception to make you let go of the word. And pick up the deception. And we looked at so many of those deceptive options in this series that he tries to offer people, whether it's the race-based deception we talked about last week or other things in the previous weeks, that he'll try to offer that to you to make you grab onto that instead of the Word of God. But those who produce 30, 60, and 100-fold are those who heard the Word and caught it and held on to it and brought forth fruit, which means they cultivated their heart and they dealt with the anxiety. They dealt with the deceitfulness of riches, all the cares of this world and the lust of other things. So Jesus continues and ministers on other parables. He tells them in verse 24, pay attention how you hear, take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear, because the same way that you hear is going to be determined what you receive. And to those who, notice what's said in verse 24, and unto you that hear shall more be given; for he that has to him shall more be given, and he that has not from him shall be taken even that which he has. What is he talking about? Ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear and use their ears to hear and give attention to the word will receive more revelation. They' will receive more of understanding, or they'll receive more from the word. But for those who don't use what they have who don't use the word they've received, who don't use their ears to hear, they will lose what little they had. So he keeps talking about these parables, same subject, same day. And he's explaining to his 12 disciples and others with them what these things mean. But have you ever wondered what happened when Jesus finished this wonderful day of teaching? He's teaching for a long period of time. How do we know that? Verse 33, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day, when the evening was come, the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let's pass over to the other side, or let's go to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, And there were also with him other little ships. So you have the boat that Jesus is on and all the ships that are going with them. They're going to the other side. Why? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So Jesus has given to the word. Where are they going? The other side. Where does Jesus want them all to be? The other side. Where is the mission? The other side. Where is the next step? The other side. Remember what Jesus said about his ministry. I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. You even read in Mark chapter one, where there's this great revival going on in Capernaum and going on where Jesus had been ministering and Jesus going to another place. And Peter's asking him, hey, everybody's looking for you. Why are you leaving the city? He says, I have to go to the other towns and villages for there I am sent. Why? He is mission minded. He had spent, he got up early in the morning to pray, to receive directives from the father. And so this place where Jesus is going to next is where the father wants him to go. Verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now, I'm going to read that verse again. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine this verse. Now, if you are driving and listening to me, don't close your eyes and imagine, but just listen to me. But if you're watching somewhere, and it's safe for you to close your eyes you're at home or somewhere, I want you to pay attention to this and I want you to close your eyes if you can and imagine and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full All right. so if you imagine that look at me again if you're on social media type in I imagine it or I got it I can see it I can see it so if you imagine that type in on social media if you're watching on social media I got it I can see it now let me ask you about what you imagined. When you imagined it, and if this is you, if this is closer to what you imagined, I just want you to type in me, or that's me, or you can do the emoji with the person lifting their hand. And when you were listening to this verse, if you imagine this great big thunderstorm, this big hurricane, and this rain and torrential rain and the winds and the lightning and the thunder boom. And if you could see that, I want you to type in "That's me or do the emoji." that's me." If you could see that rain, that thunder, that lightning, that hurricane-like condition, I want you to say, that's me. Go ahead and type in for a moment. If you say that's you, say, "That's me." Or if you can imagine that, say that's me." Now, if you imagine that, if you imagine this rainstorm with the thunder and the lightning and hurricane conditions that some of you are saying, that's me, that's what I saw. I want to show you something. That's not what happened. What do you mean that's not what happened? Let's look at the verse again. There arose a great storm of wind and never said it rained. And never said there was thunder. And never said it was a lightning. So notice how it says that there arose, paints this picture to Greek, it suddenly happened. It caught them off guard. Now remember, a number of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. They know how the sea operates, they have fished on the sea their entire lives. They were trained in this. And to catch them off guard is something serious. So suddenly, out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, there comes this great, huge, large, massive storm of wind or a wind storm. So notice, it's an invisible storm because you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. So all of a sudden, everything is clear. They're on this boat going to the other side because Jesus says, let's go to the other side. They had this great day of teaching. They had this great day of church, and they're going to the other side, and all of a sudden the wind comes from nowhere and begins to beat against the ship so that it was now full. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. The wind kept hitting and hitting and hitting it like it was this imaginary hand conducting this invisible storm, and had stirred up the waves to such an extent it had filled the boat. Now what happens when a boat is filled with water? That's your question. What happens when a boat is filled with water? It sinks. But this boat didn't sink. Why isn't this boat on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee right now? Jesus said, let's go onto the other side. So he'd already spoken what was going to happen. So although this invisible storm showed up, it couldn't sink the boat. Although the boat is filled with water and being battered by this storm of wind, this great storm of wind, it couldn't sink the boat. But this storm of wind, this attack, this sudden storm has thrown the disciples in such a panic, they're missing the miraculous. Has that ever happened to you? That you're so distracted by the attack, you're so distracted by the pressure. You're so distracted by the storm that you miss the miraculous that God is doing in the meantime. You see, one of the, you know, just take a side trail, just for a minute. When we look at that he's our savior, that means he's our healer, he's our deliverer, he's our provider, but he's also our preserver. So part of the things we understand what Jesus is doing in your life, he is preserving you, that he'll take you from point A to point B. doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there, he's preserving you in the meantime. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the God of your beginning, he is the God of your end, but he's also the God of the middle, and he's taking you through the time. So you might be going through a time right now, going through a storm, going through all the effects. effects of this pandemic and all the things that are happening around the world. Yes, there's a lot of things going on, but don't miss the miracle in the middle. Don't miss that God is preserving you in the midst of the storm. And so, and he, being Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep, on a pillow Why? He preached all day. He's tired. He's taking a nap. Jesus is knocked out. He's not paying attention to the wind, to the waves. He's at rest. He's at peace. Why? He said, let's go to the other side. And they, the disciples, awake him and say to him, master or teacher, cares thou not that we pray? Don't you care that we're about to die? So notice they didn't come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, teacher, teacher, pass pastor, pastor, get up. No, It wasn't gentle. You know they rushed in there, going through all that water, sloshing through all that water. Grab Jesus. Teacher, wake up. Dude, how are you still sleeping? Don't you see what's going on all around you? Can't you understand the situation that we're in? Don't you care about us? Notice what this windstorm has done. It has caused them to question the care of Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation when your faith is under fire that has caused you to question the care of Jesus, the one who takes care of you? That's why it tells us to cast our cares upon him, because he takes care of us and takes care for us. So notice what Jesus did. He got up, and he rebuked the wind. He restrained the wind. He spoke to the wind. And then after he spoke to the wind, he said unto the sea. So he said something specific to the wind. Because remember, the wind is what's causing the sea to act this way. So he addressed the root before he dealt with the fruit. He dressed the root of the wind that caused the storm. He rebuked it. He took authority over it and he restricted it. And then he said to the sea, Peace be still. Or we could say it another way, hush or shh. Why could he use his authority for the sea? Because the sea wasn't created to destroy, the wind had stirred up the sea to bring this destruction. And so he rebuked the root, and then he dealt with the fruit. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So notice what happened. As soon as it started, it was over. This invisible storm that filled the boat with water that caused the disciples to question the care of Jesus had been dealt with when Jesus dealt with the root and then addressed the fruit. There's this great calm. So, Jesus turns to his disciples, who, you know, they're panicking. They just finished panicking. They're probably soaked because the boat had filled with water. Jesus had just been woken up suddenly out of his nap. He's looking at them like, dude, guys, why are you so fearful? Don't just read through that. Why are you so full of fear? Which means his expectation of them was not to be full of fear. So, why are you so afraid Why did this storm make you afraid? Why did this windstorm make you fearful? Why did the boat filling with water make you afraid? Why did this invisible storm bother you so much? Notice the next question. How is it that you have no faith? Read that again. How is it that you, you know why he's talking to them? He's pointing at them. Why is it that you, Peter, John, James, Thomas, Judas, he's going through the list, Matthew, why is it that you have no faith? Which means Jesus fully expected them to have faith. Now, you, if Jesus didn't expect them to be able to deal with this, he wouldn't have been checking them now. If he didn't think they could handle it, he says, oh, no, I got it, guys. Sorry, I slept so much. No. Why are you so afraid? And why did you have no faith? Because it's not even like they woke up and Jesus, hey, we need you to deal with this for us. Jesus fully expected them to deal with it. Why? He just told them it was coming. Well, what do you mean he told them it was coming? He just taught them Mark 4. They just received the word. Jesus spent all day teaching and preaching and explaining the word. They, answered, they asked all the questions and Jesus answered. He told them how to Satan operate to come for the word that you receive. Affliction. Pressure brought by circumstance. This invisible storm of wind filling the boat is an example of affliction. Pressure brought by circumstance. Now, notice, what did that pressure cause them to do? It caused them to operate in the cares of this world or anxiety or worry and make them question the care of Jesus. So we see that as soon as the wind shows up and it suddenly takes them a guard, they fall into another Satan's trap in the tactics of the cares of this world. So we see two of Satan's tactics affliction and cares of this world coming to take the word they had received and she's like how don't you have any faith remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God what do they do all day long hear and hear and hear the word so that means the faith they had received was enough to deal with the storm they were facing except they didn't use the faith they received they didn't resist this attack of the enemy they panicked Now, we can't blame them for panicking. We get it. We understand why they panic. But Jesus fully expected them to deal with it. Just like the storms that are in your life, Jesus expects you to have faith and choose not to be afraid. So now Jesus has dealt with this. But this invisible storm of wind was at random. As we already pointed out, it was stirred up by the enemy. So let's keep reading. And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, "What manner man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him?" And they came over unto the other side of the sea, and to the country of the Gadarenes. So they've already seen miraculous provision; their boat didn't sink. They are now on this other side, delivered from this invisible storm. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. Now. Gadarenes, or Gadara, means nothing to us. So what is this area? What is the country of the Gadarenes? Where is this? This is part of the region of Decapolis. And Decapolis means the region of ten cities. It is the name of a district in Palestine that includes a number of autonomous cities. These ten cities were Damascus, Philadelphia, Rafana, Sethopolis, Gadara, Hippos, Dion, Pella, Gerasa, and Kanatha. The population of the Decapolis was chiefly pagan. The ten cities were not an official league or political unit, but they were grouped together because of their language, culture, location, and political status. The Decapolis cities were centers of Greek and Roman culture in a region that was otherwise Semitic. Each city had a certain degree of autonomy and self-rule. The Roman government wanted the Roman culture to flourish in the farthest reaches of the empire, which at that time included eastern Palestine. So they encouraged the growth of these 10 cities, allowing them some political autonomy within the protective sphere of Rome. Each city functioned as a city state with jurisdiction over an area of the surrounding countryside. The Romans strongly left their cultural stamp on all of the cities. Each one was eventually rebuilt with a Roman style of grid, grid of streets based around a central road. The Romans sponsored and built numerous temples and other public buildings. The imperial cult, which is the worship of the Roman emperor, was a very common practice throughout the Decapolis and was one of the features that linked the different cities. The cities may also have enjoyed strong commercial ties fostered by a network of new Roman roads. This has led to their common identification today as a federation or league. This is also a heavily Greek area but there was a significant population of Jews, although the groups historically clashed in the area. So this is not a chiefly Jewish area. This is a chiefly pagan area, a chiefly Greek area, an area that had an even stronger Roman imprint than you would find in Judea and other parts of Galilee. So Jesus walks into this area. He gets off the boat. You know, some of the disciples, like, well, I'm glad Jesus calmed the storm, but I'm so glad to be back on land. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, when it says with, it's not just talking about, okay, he had an unclean spirit. This word with in the Greek paints a picture of someone in the hold or the control of someone. So this man was under the control of an unclean. Clean spirit. Now remember what we said the word unclean here means. It means impure or lewd in thought and life. It means impure or lewd in thought and life. So how did the Spirit get a hold of this man? It began to work on his thoughts. Then eventually got into his actions and eventually yielded to the spirit so the spirit could now control him. Now you might say, because some of you know the story, but he was running to Jesus. How could he even make a decision to run to Jesus if this unclean spirit was controlling him? You know, Luke chapter 8 gives some more insight. It uses the phrase that the spirit would catch him. You know, one of the things I learned studying this Greek from Rick Renner, he said, it will suddenly take hold of him similar to those who suffer from seizures as they're suddenly attacked with one. So just like how a seizure suddenly comes on some people who are suffering with seizures, this spirit would suddenly take a hold of this individual. So let's go back here. So this man under the control of unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. So one of the things you see about this unclean thought and life, the word unclean is connected to the Greek word, which means sexual immorality. And so the three times this word are connected together, and Romans chapter 1 lists different sins that are considered sexual immorality and uncleanness. So this is a man who who is given into thoughts of uncleanness, of lewdness, and sexual immorality, and he began to live in a sexually immoral life, and this has got him tripped up and trapped. When you read Luke chapter 8, he has thrown off all his clothes. So now he's immodest. He has no clothes. And notice what it says next. He was dwelling among the tombs, always associating now with death. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. So this unclean spirit gave him supernatural strength, and he broke every chain and all the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. So society had tried to chain him. Society had tried to bind him, but every time they tried, he would break through. So their best doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists couldn't do it. All their religious people couldn't do it. They said no one could tame him. So that means people tried to tame him. People tried to reason with him. People tried to help him but they would just give up because they were getting nowhere. This man was getting worse and worse and worse to a point where the officials said, let's train him up, let's lock him away. And they couldn't. He would always break out and escape. And this whole countryside was afraid of him. And he lived among the tombs. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, in this cliff, crying, wailing out in torment but also, this is supernatural yells coming from this man. So it is, he is a walking, haunted house. Those cliffs is this haunted area, haunted by this man and the demons that torment him. Crying and cutting himself with stones, he's mutilating himself. He's under such torment that he's resorted to cutting. Cutting is not new. You see here, it's associated with these unclean spirits, driving this man to cut himself. He's in torment. Now, one of the things you'll see as we study this passage a little bit further, and keep going, the unclean spirit is the master spirit of the other demons that are tormenting this man. This man, the spirit behind this man, has kept this whole countryside in fear. It is a regional spirit, like we saw in Daniel chapter 10. It is the same spirit that stirred up the storm to go after Jesus, his disciples, and the other ships that are with him. He is the spirit behind the invisible storm. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. The phrase "worship him means he was running towards Jesus, and he saw Jesus He saw his opportunity. He knew, just instinctively, seeing Jesus, this man can help me. This man can deliver me. This man can save me. He saw it. He recognized. So he is running. The unclean spirit hadn't caught him at this moment. So he says, here is my opportunity to get some relief, to get some freedom, to get some deliverance. So he's running towards Jesus, and he dives, diving to get to Jesus falling at his feet before the unclean spirit could get him. So he rushes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and then he cries with a loud voice. We see now the unclean spirit has caught him. And now through this demonic voice, it says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of the most high God? This unclean spirit, this ruler of this area, and the spirits in this man knew who Jesus was. What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of God, son of the most high God? I know who you are. I adjure you by God that you torment me not. What he's saying? He saying? It's a religious phrase, adjure you by God. He's using a religious phrase. This demon, this unclean spirit that's been ruling this era in such fear is now afraid himself. He gets religious. So this let me know this demon not only had a personality of fear— and a, being an unclean spirit, also had some religious elements to what he tried to impress on the area. So he uses religious phrase, I adjure you by God, torment me not, or stop tormenting me. Leave me alone. Stop tormenting me. Now you got to say, well, what is Jesus doing that's tormenting this spirit so badly that it's yelling at Jesus, stop it. Stop tormenting me. Verse eight, for Jesus had said unto him, "Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit." So this, in the Greek, it paints the picture. Jesus kept saying it. So when this man is taking off, running towards Jesus, bleeding, scarred, naked, chains around, broken off around him, this man who is demoni- demoniac, demonized, and crazed, under the control of an unclean spirit, about to be caught. By the unclean spirit. You know, the rest of the disciples were happy to get off the boat, but it's like, now Jesus, get back on the boat. Let's go, let's go. Back on the boat, let's go. A lot of you would have been back on the boat faster than you could blink. But Jesus said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So now this unclean spirit and this man has met someone who's not gonna back away like the rest of society. He's met somebody who's not going to back away like the government that had tried to control him and stop him. He's not going to back away like other religious leaders or other people who had tried to help the man has given up. This demon has met its match, and Jesus let him know, you have met your match today, because he said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This is still acting up. He said, I said, come out. Did you not hear what I said? I said, come out. What is Jesus doing? Resisting the devil. He is not backing away. He is not afraid. He's not running back to the boat. He says, come out. I said, come out. I said, come out. And this command was tormenting the devil to the point now he starts begging and beginning religious and yelling, stop tormenting me. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And this word asks doesn't mean he's trying to have a conversation. It's also pointed as he's interrogating him. Now, Jesus did not make a habit of interrogating demons or asking demons questions or having conversations with them. When he studied the ministry of Jesus, he's just telling demons, shut up and get out. He's not conversing with them. But for this instant, Jesus does hold this conversation. Now, remember, Jesus says, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. So he is led by the spirit to operate in this manner. And this man, who is possessed and under control of the unclean spirit, said, My name is Legion. Legion is the Roman word, which represents 6,000 soldiers. So this demon says, Yeah, I'm the chief spokesperson, but if there's 6,000 of us in here, you might be able to do something with one of us. You can't handle all of us. So Jesus is facing this great resistance of thousands upon thousands of demons notice what happened to this man he had yielded to one and it opened the door for him to be possessed by thousands so on a regular basis thousands of demons were coming in and out and swarming around this man this man is infested by demons and he's living on the cliffside among the tombs holding this whole area of the gadarenes in fear And he, this man, possessed by the unclean spirits, the unclean spirit, besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. This word besought means to beg and pray. This spirit is getting religious again because Jesus refusing to back away. Jesus resisting by using his story, saying, come out. is tormenting the spirit so much. Saying, hey, 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 I beg you, please, please stop that, stop that, stop it, stop it, stop, it, stop it. Okay, hey, hey, stop it. I don't want to leave the area. Why? He had ruled the area. He had conditioned the area to operate according to his will. So now he's begging to not have to leave the area. Okay, if I have to leave this dude, why? Jesus had resisted. He says, you're getting out of him. So now he's trying to make a deal. Hey, if I have to leave him, can I at least stay in the area? Now Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. Remember, this is not a chiefly Jewish area. The Jews did not eat pigs. They considered them unclean, the lowest of the low. But among the Greeks, they ate pigs. And so there's in this area a great herd of swine, about 2,000 swine, pigs, feeding, and their shepherds are with them. And all the devils besought them. So now it goes from the spokesperson, the unclean spirit, who's the ruler of all the devils. So all the demons were yelling out. Through this man around this man. So, you if you had the operation of discerning spirits, you'll see all the things going on in the spirit world, but you can hear all these different demon voices coming through this man. Because not only are the disciples watching this, the shepherds of those pigs are watching this too. Saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. If we gotta leave him, let us at least stay in this area and go into those pigs. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And they were about 2,000. They were choked in the sea. So what happened? This man was able to resist a little bit and keep his life, even though he was under constant torment. These pigs had no resistance. They couldn't take the torment. And immediately they rushed into the sea. And the thousands of pigs died. And they that fed the swine, they that fed the swine fled. Now you probably would too, because you had 2,000 pigs you were feeding. And all of a sudden you're watching this man, this haunted house, have this conversation with this man who just got off the boat. And this man, and through this man, you hear all these demonic voices. And the last thing you hear them say, let us go into the pigs and they leave and go into the pigs and your pigs take off, you, they might be saying, hey, we want to make sure we ain't next. And they take off too. So they go into the city and into the country. And they, those who were in the city and the country went out to see what it was that was done because these shepherds had told them everything that happened. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. So they look at this dude. They all knew who he was. He wasn't someone no one had heard of. They all knew who this dude was. They look at this man who that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. He is clothed. He is sitting. He's under his own control. He's operating by his own will. They knew he hadn't been like that in a long time. They are watching because they knew how the unclean spirit would catch him and he would go into these fits driven by this unclean spirit. And now, what is their first reaction? It's not, wow, we're glad someone dealt with them. They are afraid. Why? This unclean spirit, through his personality of fear, had impressed fear in the region. So they had been trained to respond to all these things in fear. So although the unclean spirit and those demons had left, they had been trained to operate in fear. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray to beg Jesus to leave. The one who could have changed everything in that region said, No, we need you to go. Bruh, you got to go. I need you back on the boat. They begged. They did it respectfully, but they begged, We need you to go. And Jesus said, Fine, I'll leave. Notice what happened next, verse 18. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, begged him, that he might be with them. Wouldn't you? If your life was changed like this, you met a person who wouldn't give up on you, who set you free, who changed your life, who restored your right mind. You wouldn't want to leave Jesus either. Howbeit Jesus didn't allow him. He says, but here's what I want you to do. Go home to your friends. Go back to your house. So this man, this man had a house. But because of the torment of the unclean spirit and the other devils, he fled his home and was living among death and torment. And go to your friends, to your circle, to your crew, and tell them how great things the Lord, the supreme in authority, has done for you and has had compassion on you. Because everybody else all their different ways had tried to help this man had tried to set this man free had tried to deliver this man and with all their authority with all the ways they couldn't do it so now tell them how the one who is supreme in authority the one who has the name that's higher than any other name tell them how the supreme in authority has done great things for you and has had compassion on you so what is the message he's giving this man there is somebody who is supreme in authority and he has compassion what is compassion love and action she said i met this man who is supreme in authority and he loved me and he set me free he says go preach the message the message of my authority and the message of my love and he departed and began to publish which means he began to preach this man became a preacher and Decapolis, the region of the Ten Cities, how great things Jesus had done for him. He's preaching about Jesus' authority and Jesus' love, Jesus' compassion. This word compassion, it doesn't mean just, oh, I love you. I have pity and compassion on you. No, it's always mixed and mingled with help. Not only do I love you, but I have some power to actually help you out. And all did marvel. So now, this countryside, is going from being gripped in fear to being overcome by wonder. A couple chapters later when we see Jesus comes back to the area, they go from asking him to leave to saying that he does all things well. What happened? Let's back up. Jesus has overcome the affliction. He has overcome the cares of this world. He has overcome The resistance of the enemy, so persecution, that was brought through a man who was possessed and controlled by unclean spirits, who had given in to the tact of the enemy of the lust of other things. The shepherds have lost these pigs. The city, out of fear, asked Jesus to leave. It's pressure from people. You got to go. But the message, the word of the authority of Jesus, the word of the love of Jesus— Conquered the mindsets of the area to change their mindset of what they thought about Jesus. So the next time they showed up, they met him with another person in an impossible situation, and Jesus healed him and they said he does all things well. It caused this region that was chiefly pagan to break out and praise God and come to know who Jesus really is. Because Jesus overcame the tactics of the enemy. Not only was one man delivered, a region was changed, and demonic strongholds and powers fell down. Transformation happened. And although your faith can be under fire, if you choose not to give in to the affliction, the persecution, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, but you hold on to the word that you've received, that you've caught, and move forward, you'll see miraculous manifestations in your life that if you're in a storm, you'll receive deliverance from the storm. You'll make it to your destination. You'll make it to where God said you're gonna go. And when you get there, you'll also be able to deliver many people because there's people on the other side of your obedience. There are people that need you to make it. There are people that need you to succeed. There are people that need you to have victory. There are people that need you to conquer. There are people that need you to overcome because once you do, they'll understand my life can be changed too. I saw what Jesus did for you. I know he can do it for me. Just like in the region of the Gadarenes, they saw what Jesus did for the man who was once possessed with the unclean spirit and who had the legion. They saw what Jesus did and they believed that Jesus could do it for him. He can handle this situation. So when people see you respond to your faith under fire and see you, instead of taking a deception, you holding on to the word of God and you making a decision to go forward people will watch and then they'll begin to wonder then they'll begin to marvel and then they'll begin to think maybe jesus can do it for me and then you tell them your testimony you tell them your story and say jesus did it for me he can do it for you so in this time don't grab on to the deception don't grab on to what the enemy has done Let's go to 1 John 5 and I'll close here and I'll pick up next time. 1 John 5. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. our. This world means the systems of this world. And we've talked about in this series how the systems of the world are backed by demonic power and infested with demons who operate by lies and accusations and deceptions. How they use the systems of this world to implement systematic injustice and cause all forms of things to happen in this world. But as we talked about last week, you must resist. You must join the resistance. You must refuse to take the deception. And you want to march forward. Spiritual warfare affect of spiritual warfare. It's not just a boast of an emotional response. It's making up your mind to live according to the Word of God and marching forward. Because when you do that, not only will you walk in victory, not only will your family walk in victory, but those around you will experience the victory you've won because demonic powers has fallen. Because you stood in your place. You resisted the enemy. You withstood. You put on the whole armor of God. You overcame even though your faith was under fire. i out of time. We'll talk about more of this next week. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know our vision statement is to ignite awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power, of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to fccga.com. If you want to give, you can text fccga to seven three two five six. You can also go to fccga.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our Faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.